Hello, welcome to episode 6 of Freeform Improv in the Dark, a Nightman podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Nightman, issue 6, Ghosts. We're also going to talk about how the shared universe of the Ultraverse worked out nicely for the character of Nightman this month, as Nightman takes on a team of supervillains. Also, Jack Kirby. Freeform Improv in the Dark, the Nightman podcast. Welcome to what is quite possibly the only podcast on the internet about the Nightman from the Ultraverse. Probably also the only podcast not on the internet about the Nightman from the Ultraverse. And this is episode six, which means we are talking about issue six. We are looking at the issues of the Nightman month by month, 21 years after they hit the stands. Again, I say this probably every month, but I can't believe it's been that long since this book started appearing. But, you know, it says right there, March 1994, Volume 1, Number 6 of The Nightman. The title is Ghosts. The uh, writer, the author, is Steve Englehart. The letterer is Dave Lamphere. And uh, Food Hammer did the colors. Kyle Hotz is the pencil artist. Thomas Lormont. Jr. is the ink artist, and then Tim DeVar did the color design. And this is a, a nice uh, addition to the Nightman mythology. It has J.D. Hunt. It has TNTNT. Yeah. <laughs> and there's some other stuff that happened this month that makes it kind of an interesting month. Now, the main thing I wanted to talk about before we actually get into the story is that this was the month that uh, Malibu did a tribute to Jack Kirby in the back of their books. It's a really interesting tribute. Uh, when you look in the back of, I, I believe the same two pages are in every single issue of of that month's books. And it's basically all of the people, well, maybe not, not all, but a number of the people who are um, primary movers behind the Ultraverse, uh, basically giving their tribute to to Jack Kirby on his, his death. He passed away February 6th, 1994. Uh, Chris Ulm has uh, a thing in there. James Hudnall, Mike Barr, Steve Gerber, Len Strazewski, sorry, Len, uh, Gerard Jones, Steve Englehart, James Robinson, Jim Chadwick, Tom Mason, and Hank Canals. All of them give a nice, nice little tribute to um, times that they met Jack Kirby, times that they uh, were inspired by Jack Kirby, and it was just, it was it was nice. It's, it's very, very nice. And, you know, Jack Kirby, to me, he's, he's one of those people who, obviously, I've come across him. I'm part of the industry that he belongs to as well. I've, I've come across his work as a fan uh, because he's a giant. However, I never really... Um, I can't really call myself a Jack Kirby fan. Uh, some of his books, like the early X-Men books, I've, I've read. I've read the early Fantastic Four books. Um, but it wasn't until very recently, actually, that I really started appreciating 
just what was good about what he was doing. I always knew he was good. You can tell just by looking at his work that he was good. But for me personally, I, it just wasn't a thing that really grabbed me until recently when I really started looking at what he was doing and looking at how he was doing it. And really that came from my podcast, The Comic Book Time Machine, where I was looking at Jack Kirby's 2001 series. And I just find that series so fascinating because it's Jack Kirby unfettered by you know working from an outline from someone else or even working with an editor. He had just carte blanche. He could do whatever he wanted. And so he did a oversized adaptation of 2001 a space odyssey it is a wonderful thing to behold it truly truly is if you are a fan of the movie it's might not be what you want because it's the style of of a jack kirby story does not fit uh what stanley kubrick was doing with um 2001 the movie but if you're a fan of jack kirby definitely seek this thing out it is just it is one it's a treasury size edition and i i kind of made the joke on the comic book time machine when i was talking about it it's a treasure in my collection it really is it's a book that i go back to often uh more often than really any other comic books except for you know certain special special books but it's just one that i can go back and look at and just appreciate and it wasn't until i really discovered that and and read it and was reading it as something more than just a novelty that I, I really started appreciating just what he was doing, how he was structuring the page. And that's what made me a fan of his. And then reading through his series, man, there's some hits and misses in the series. You know, um, I'll, I'll just say he's he's a giant in the industry because he deserves to be. Uh, there's There are people who might say he's a giant because... Just the circumstances that put him in the right place at the right time, but no, if you if you look at what he's doing, he is a. I mean, he he's defining the comic book um, medium before your eyes as you're reading through um, his work, early work in Captain America, and then on Fantastic Four and the early Marvel stuff. And, and I never really appreciated him other than as a historical figure until I, I started digging into some of this other stuff that he had done that I just never had a chance to see. So that's, has, that, that's neither here nor there as far as Nightman goes, and really, um, it's really far off from, <laughs> from where that goes as far as the Nightman. But uh, this is also an interesting month for the Nightman because, um, first of all, this issue, number six, features a team of villains that first appeared in The Strangers. And so that's that kind of... Um, San Francisco area of the Ultraverse world kind of coming together and allowing us to see characters who have shown up in one place, allowing them to see them show up in another place. And the Nightman actually makes a brief sort of almost cameo in another book. And we'll get to that later. For now, I'm going to go ahead and play one of the uh, uh, promos that I like to play. I like to play promos from podcasts that I listen to and that I enjoy. And in the case of the following uh, promo, uh, it's actually a podcast that I get to be a part of very, very soon. And I'll let you guys know when that happens. But for now, uh, I'm just going to play the promo. In 1939, Timely Comics published its first issues, 
It later changed its name, first to Atlas Comics and then to Marvel Comics. In 2014, Marvel polled its fans asking for the 75 greatest Marvel stories from those 75 years and published that list in print form. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels countdown will walk through all 75 of these stories every Wednesday from December 31st, 2014 to June 1st, 2016. Join me, Blaine Dowler, and a cadre of other hosts, including established podcasting greats and emerging talents, as we run through the list, discuss each story in the context of its original release, and determine just what makes it so great. The unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels countdown can be found at Bureau42.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. If you've listened to the podcast, you know how I structure this. I take the comic, I divide it up into a three-act structure, and I examine it act by act. And in this issue, I actually had a hard time even making up and determining a three-act structure. You see, normally a comic book, I mean, you can find a three-act structure within the pages, but because it's so short, um, sometimes really if you are going to take it down and, and really pull it together and, and, and figure out exactly what the act structure would be, that beginning, middle, end, that, that um, setting up the problem, the rising action, and the, and the climax, and all that kind of thing. Within 22 pages or 22, 24 pages, act one might be a page long, uh, and act two might be 20 pages, and then act three might be four pages. I, maybe this whole uh, three-act structure thing isn't the, the greatest way to... Uh, to, to to examine the story, but I'm I'm gonna stick with it. And so for this one, I, I kind of I think I worked out something, but but really it comes down to Act One and Act Two are are done by the you know, I think page ten <laughs> or or page yeah, actually it's about halfway through page page eleven is where you get into that that climax and and really you're you're. Your the last thirteen pages of the book are Act Three. I, I so here's what I'm doing. I, I I'm just going to t go ahead and take it. And Act One is actually just setting up the subplots. Act Two is setting up the the primary problem, and then Act Three is fighting. Lots of fighting, and it just it just works best that way. It's not exactly that perfect three act structure as far as how each act you know builds into each other and and you know this this is not exact science here this is this is me just trying to talk about a comic book i mean let's face it so i'm i'm going to do my best act 1 though uh this is the story is called ghost and it's called that because well it's part of his dialogue um he's pumping iron in fact he he says uh, he's he's at the gym and he's he's thinking to himself last night i played the blues this morning i pump iron but nothing can make me forget ghosts so what you see on the splash page really sets up everything you need to know about what is really bothering the nightman there are two ghosts who are haunting him one is the woman who died early on in the series that he was not able to save that he tried to save but he just didn't get there in time he was too late and the other is the nightman himself the persona that he puts on in the night that wears the costume, that has the cape, that has the flowing long locks of beautifully conditioned hair, and has the, you know, misshaped eye, the one great big round one and the one thin slit one. And he, this is what haunts him. This is what is on his mind right now. 
uh, it's been haunting him for six issues now, really. And he's still dealing with it. It makes sense, though. I mean, it's been six months for us, the reader. Six months and 21 years, if you really want to get technical. But uh, for him, it, it hasn't been as long. Now, the other thing is, he's at the gym, and he's got some women checking him out. You know, and they're, they like what they see. They like what they see. They approach him. One of them says, excuse me, you have fantastic dedication. And then the other one says, among other things, no, really, you could help us a lot. And so then the first one offers, I'll buy you a juice when you get through and you can tell us your secret. And he's sweating. He's working. He says, not a chance, not a chance. And so uh, you see, again, the final panel of this page, uh, you see that he is haunted by the Nightman. Really, it's Nightman that he's struggling with, although he is also struggling with Rhiannon. So you have that this kind of trinity of haunted thoughts of his the nightman which is basically the personification of his power and the personification of his dedication and the personification of um, his drive to do good you have the woman that he couldn't save towards the beginning of the series and then you have the woman that he didn't save last time that he still can't get out of his mind even though he knows the love he felt for her was from her magic or her sorcery. So there we go. Uh, If you haven't read the book and you're just picking up this issue right now, I think there's a pretty decent setup for what drives him. Um, We don't know much about his powers yet from this issue, but if you've been following along, you, you know exactly why he, you know, last night played the blues. He can't sleep, you know? So then we move into, uh, Newware, we move to J.D. Hunt, who's basically the Lex Luthor of the Ultraverse. I mean, he's he's this billionaire industrialist who wants to rule the world. And one of the ways that he is getting ready to rule the world is by before Ultras were even really a thing, he was creating Ultras. And he created the TNTNT. Now, TNTNT... <sighs> team name i'm just gonna say it it's kind of dumb if it was just three of them and they call themselves tnt i actually wouldn't mind that but the tnt nt just it just pushes it over the edge for me and i just don't really appreciate it uh, as much as i think i'm supposed to um now tnt nt has already appeared they appeared in issue three of the strangers and so when i was reading through the first time, as I was buying these monthly, this would be month six, I'm buying, I, I would have bought this issue, and I would have been glad that I didn't have to buy another one, because Nightman, if you remember, uh, when I bought Nightman issue number one, I also went back and bought Strangers issues one, two, and three, because those had appearances of Johnny Domino, the Nightman, before he uh, woke up from the accident that gave the Strangers their powers, and that gave him his powers. So issue three, I would have already owned and I would have already read when this issue came out and I would have seen the strangers fight TNTNT. So real quickly, you do remember who the strangers are, right? The strangers are, um, they're a team. They're basically a lot like the early Ultraverse Avengers. Uh, and they consist of, um, 
rainbow-colored human torch, streetwise kid flash, firestorm without fire hair, the DC Marvel Amalgam Universe Wonder Woman Storm, whatever her name was, hot robot girl, a fashionista who can create fashions that can be used as weapons, and a guy who shoots stuff out of his chest, so he has to walk around with a vest and no shirt. That guy's name is Grenade. And I'm so glad that I get to reference him right here because that means later in this episode, it frees me up to talk about him. Mm, Well, you'll see. You'll see. The TNTNT consists of five members, not seven. Uh, They consist of Torso, who has phantom limbs. Um, He's a floating uh, metal suit that's just the torso. And his arms and legs are imaginary and, and made of energy. And they can kind of do whatever he makes them do. He's pretty formidable, pretty powerful looking. And there's Nyad, the water witch, who can kind of control water and shoot water from her hands and magically. There's Tugun, who is a samurai who, instead of having swords, has machine guns. There's Neuron who um, she can short-circuit your brain by touching your head, and she can also short-circuit actual circuits. And then there's Tyrannosaurus Rex, who's just super strong and not too bright. J.D. Hunt's going to send them out after Nightman, and they are pretty confident that this won't pose a problem for them because, you know what? I mean, the strangers beat them, but there were seven strangers, and they almost won against the strangers. And then J.D. Hunt says, oh, but Nightman, he beat Mangle. You remember Mangle? And it's kind of funny. Um, They do, and they just both, they all just kind of shut up and, oh, he beat Mangle. Huh, well, that's interesting. And then you have... He sends them out, and then you have this conversation with J.D. Hunt and his son, Guy, who is actually named Gaius Julius, as in Caesar. And as the uh, TNTNT leave, father and son take the time to pose and look evil. And Guy says, it's going to be cool to rule the world, Dad. And J.D. Hunt says, I've always liked it. So there's that subplot. Now we move on to Johnny. He's still working out, but he gets a visit from his dad. And he says, oh, I don't want dad to see me look bad. So he puts on a big smile. And dad, he's down. You know, dad's feeling down because um, the <laughs> that scuzzwipe, as they call him, Russell Peters, bought the last bit of beach property except for Playland, which is where... Johnny grew up. He loved going there. His dad works there right now as a night guardsman. And they say that Peter's is closing in. So Johnny says, well, maybe I can go talk to him. And his dad says, I don't think he's going to listen to people like us. And uh, Johnny says, well, you never know. And we get a nice, that shadow of the nightman behind him again. Then later, as he's going home, Johnny passes by and sees the uh, FCC is sending out their goons trying to triangulate uh, where the pirate radio station that Johnny uses at night when he can't sleep and he plays a saxophone and wants to ruminate about things and uh, they can't find him and he 
he understands that what he's doing is illegal, but, uh, you know, he doesn't care. You know, he's got to do what he's got to do to save lives and to be the nightman. So we get a look at um, some of the, the stuff he's done in his house. Like he remodeled without a permit by putting in, you know, secret compartments where he can put his costume in. And then we get some more rumination. He doesn't say anything about freeform improv in the dark. He does make an excuse for himself, saying it's a new world since the jump start. The rules have changed. The authorities need to get used to it. And he talks about how he's made alterations on his costume and is going to make alterations on the costume and makes a joke about how he'd be a pretty pretty good seamstress if he wasn't doing the crime-fighting thing. But he, then he talks about how it's all part of the Nightman's evolution into what has to be, into what he has to be. And that is the absolute master of the night, which is kind of the theme of this issue. Now, if you do look at Nightman as, and, and that's where the uh, first act actually is, is ending as far as I'm concerned. It's right here kind of halfway on page at nine. But if you consider the Nightman as a year one superhero story, this is all about him building up um, an arsenal and building up a skill set to do what he's got to do in order to stop crime. He hears evil, and so he feels responsible to stop that evil. The theme for this one is that he really uh, lives up to his name. He becomes the master of the night, and we're going to see later on how he uses the night, how he's not just using his costume, not just using his tricks and toys and you know the tasers in his glove and his infrared vision and that kind of thing. And his tattered cape, which really is looking pretty tattered right now. Um, he has to be the absolute master of the night. And again, this is him learning to use the tools at his disposal. And in this, in the case of this issue, that one major tool that he's going to use is the San Francisco nighttime. So that's all the subplots, though. That's him dealing with his issues uh, as Nightman. That's him dealing with his issues uh, losing both Rhiannon from last issue and the woman from earlier. Setting up his dad's problem uh, with Playland and how they don't want to lose that amusement park to the basically th this industrialist. And it sets up J.D. Hunt and how much he hates Nightman because Nightman sassed him. Yes, that's actually the motivation that J.D. Hunt says. He sassed me. That's not okay. And it sets up who the villains are that are being sent after him by seeing an example of their power, their strength, and, and the things that they can do. And so we move into Act 2. Act 2 is the setup for what the fight is going to be like and gives us the opening uh, the opening blows, basically. Now, Act 2 starts out with TNTNT um, looking around San Francisco to try and find uh, Nightman when he comes out. And they're going to, um, whoever sees him first is going to follow him, radio the position to everyone else, and then they're going to all follow him until they all can get together. And so we get, <laughs> we get Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he's like, 
he's doing the Ben Grimm thing where he's wearing a trench coat over his costume. Now his costume is green. He looks like a big T-Rex. The face, uh, or the head rather, of his costume allows you to see his face. It's like he's looking through the mouth of, uh, you know, Godzilla suit, basically. Near, uh, no, it's not near, it's Nyad, who wears a skin-tight um, suit. She's also wearing a trench coat sitting in her car. They've all got their great big giant 90s portable phones. And she's the one who sees Nightman first. She follows him. And Nightman is heading out in costume to go and confront Russell Peters. Yes, that's what he's going out to do right now. He talks about how he has this duty to go and fight evil. Anyway, he is going to confront Russell Peters. He talks to Russell Peters a little bit. And he says, hey, I want to talk to you. And Russell Peters is a fan. And I'm getting the real, well, I'm getting a real vibe of Flash Thompson, who is a fan of Spider-Man, loves Spider-Man, but, you know, bullies Peter Parker. So Nightman confronts Russell. And in the middle of confronting him on the construction site where you've got just basically steel girders, I don't understand, you know, why they're working on this construction site of this building in the middle of the night. Um, because honestly, I mean, road construction, I understand why they might want to do that in the middle of the night because there's fewer cars driving by and you don't have to divert as much traffic, especially when it's in a busy place. But a, a building, a building you can wait and just work on that during the day. Uh, I I don't get it. I don't understand it. Maybe they have like a really bad deadline or something. I don't know. But as Nightman confronts him, he suddenly hears evil. And that evil says, kill him now. And so he quickly gets Russell, puts him behind him. And you get a nice little uh, image here of the five uh, TNTNT members getting ready to attack Nightman. And, of course, Russell Peters, he's pretty freaked out. But um, I just, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the, well, maybe I didn't mention this yet, but this they're, they're kind of like a Sinister Six kind of thing. And I, that's the vibe I get from this comic is, you know, Sinister Six, whenever Spider-Man would have to go up against them, it was, even though you know Spider-Man's going to win, it was still, you, you had a little bit of tension where it's how can he defeat all of them? How can he possibly defeat all six of them at the same time? And then listen to uh, J. David Weeder's um, podcast, the, the Daredevil podcast. And he's talking about how um, Electro pulled together four villains to fight Daredevil. And they call themselves the Emissaries of Evil. You know, and it's kind of cheesy. No, not kind of. It's cheesy. Uh, but this Tyrannosaurus Rex yells out, Die, Nightman, at the hands of TNTNT. And it's just, I mean, can you get more goofy? Yeah, you can. I mean, Emissaries of Evil, arguably more goofy, but not much more. So as they attack, he jumps out of the way. He throws a rope up, and he starts swinging away. He goes up on the steel girders. He's running around. They shoot at him. They spray water at him. He falls off, and uh, they lose track of him in the dark, in the night, in the fog. And so when they go and find the place where he fell, he's not there. And, and that's where Neuron gives the order, spread out, we'll, we'll have to search for him. And he's, uh, this is also kind of setting up his conflict. His conflict is not just against them. His conflict is, can I 
face these odds. And, and what he says is five of them. I've never faced odds like this before. The freaks and Mangle made six, but only Mangle was truly evil. If I live till dawn, I'll know I deserve to be in this game. And so the stakes for him really are to make it through, to win the battle, and prove to himself that he deserves to be in the hero game. Now, I want to say something about the art here, because at first I was going to say there was some trouble with the storytelling. And I'm not going to say that now, because I think I figured out what the problem was with this issue. And I think I've probably figured this out three times now (laughs) over the last 20 years. But, uh, you know, 20 years is a long time, so I'm going to give myself a little bit of, of leeway here. But Kyle Hotz does a really good job with this issue. I enjoy his artwork. Um... The, he does things with anatomy as far as like the the way the bodies move and the way the bodies um, are shaped and you know are contorted and that kind of thing that aren't perfect as far as anatomy goes, but it fits the style and that's really what happens here is this is a true example a great example of when an artist's style really fits nicely with the content and. That's not to say anything bad about other artists who worked on this book. Uh, It's just to say Kyle Hotz, who stuck with the book almost the entire run, uh, except for a few issues toward the end and a few issues toward the beginning, um, he he really kind of defines Nightman for me. And when I think of Nightman, I think of this version, this style. And it works nicely because it's gritty, it's um, there's a gothic kind of feel to it a little bit. Uh, it does remind me a little bit of Todd McFarlane, uh, but it's just for me this is the perfect artist to have created these stories. So what was the problem I had? Well, if you move from page twelve where he's jumping up onto the steel girders to page thirteen, he's on the ground confronting torso directly. And he fights Torso a little bit, and then there's Neron. And then you turn the page to page 14, and Nyad is zapping him with water and making him fall off the steel girders. And then I finally realized, like I said, I probably have done this a couple different times. It's a little jarring. It doesn't work perfectly. It's bad storytelling as it is. It's not intended to be this way, though. This is the wrong order. These two pages got flipped somehow. The numbering is still correct, and so I... You know, the letterer, when they were numbering it, you know, they got it in the wrong order, I believe. Because it, it just, the page, page 14 comes before page 13. Because what happens is, all this is, you know, they give that first attack. It's a surprise attack. Um, he's forced to run. He falls. He then is able to hide in the fog and in the darkness. And they're going to come after him. And he's given himself this challenge. After that is when he starts going on after them and confronting them on his own terms. And we get the real battle. We get Act 3, which is fighty, 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 fighty. Now, this whole thing, he just has to be smarter than them. He can't beat them head on, him versus the five of them with them working as a team. And so what he has to do, he's done a nice job already of it. Now, he didn't do it on purpose, but they've split up to come after him. Now, let me give you a little bit of advice. Um, 
this is free advice from me to you. And I almost feel bad giving it to you because, you know, if you're a supervillain team, I'm helping you defeat a good guy. But this also applies to superhero teams, especially teams like, I don't know, X-Men and Justice League of America and Avengers and Fantastic Four and pretty much any team that exists in, in comic books ever. You don't split up. When you're fighting one person, you don't split up and go after him one at a time. I don't care how cocky you feel like you can be, because the truth is, as soon as you split up, it's one-on-one. So here's what you do. You split up into smaller teams, but stick with the whole team idea. That's why you came together. And sure, okay, you have an odd number, so you, you have two teams of two, and then one person by himself, that's almost acceptable, because what you've created is a team of teams. Let's face it, supervillains have power, but aren't always the smartest people in the world. You need every advantage you can have. You have the advantage of power and the advantage of numbers. Use them both. Don't count on one. Because here's what happens then. Torso confronts Nightman on that weird page that we talked about already um they have a little bit of a fight and nightman disappears into the fog now if torso had been there with someone else uh it's quite possible that one of them could have you know cut him off so he couldn't run off into the fog so then neuron comes and she attacks him alone now she feels pretty confident she feels pretty cocky but the shrapnel in his head short circuits her power back against herself it's feedback she's out Okay, so now it's TNTT. Nightman then turns around. Oh, there's Torso again. And uh, this is, okay, aside from the whole, you know, the villains are going to split up thing, which is really what Nightman uses to his advantage. He's running around in the fog in the night. He's using the night against them. This is the scene that just kind of, it's comical maybe nightman realizes that torso has ghost limbs and that he is an amputee and so he turns around because he's in a construction site he picks up a circular saw and he starts chasing torso around with it and so you have this ridiculous scene of the Nightman holding it up and Torso freaking out. And in his thoughts, Nightman saying, I was right. Even though he could reach past the saw with his with his energy arms, you know. The man who lost his arms and legs fears further mutilation. So this is awkwardly paced. And I was trying to figure out, did some of the page get flipped? So you're actually reading it in the wrong order? I don't think so. Because um, it just, at first Torso's freaked out, what? And then he starts getting his bluster again, I'm going to blast you into Kingdom Come. And then Nightman just holds up the saw, but we um, we cross the line, um, the imaginary line where we're looking at it, and Torso's on the left, Nightman's on the right. And then Torso and Nightman switch places without actually moving. And so puts Torso on the right, Nightman on the left, coming at him with the saw. And then... 
you have this panel of Nightman chasing Torso down with the power cord trailing behind him. He takes it. He cuts against the armor. It barely scratches it, but Torso faints. He just faints dead away. And he just, again, it was that, that um, he's so worried that he would have further mutilation. And so um, he then ties, and this is funny. I like, I like this. This is, this is kind of funny to me, but he ties up Torso's torso to a post using the power cord that he had the, the uh, circular saw plugged into. And then he continues on into the fog and night. And he hears another evil voice saying, drowning's too good for that slime. It's Nyad. Oh, by the way, we're, we're now down to just TNT. Okay, so now we're actually down to a team that I actually can support and live with the name. So she shoots her water stuff at him. And as she shoots it, he just takes his fist and his taser and hits the water with the electricity and the electricity travels the water back to her, knocks her out. So she's out. So now it's just TT, Tyrannosaurus Rex, and Two Gun. And now Nightman really uses the night and really uses the fog to great effect and great advantage. And also uses the fact that Tyrannosaurus Rex really isn't too bright. <laughs> so what he does is he kind of jumps around, runs around, um, distracts one and then you know calls out to the other and gets out of the way and so he's between two gun and tronosaurus rex but he gets out of the way as as two gun opens fire so tronosaurus rex gets shot but he's bulletproof so he runs after two gun and he takes out two gun he thinks two gun is nightman so you've had this happen before where the 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 hero gets two villains the two villains to think that the other one is the hero um Tronosaurus rex just just pulverizes two guns face just pulverizes it and then nightman jumps on uh Tronosaurus rex's back um dread pirates roberts style uh when he was fighting uh andre the giant in princess bride uh puts his arm around him but he's got the taser and he's trying to punch with the taser and he can't. There's just the armor is too strong, um, and so he again he's using the night, he's using the darkness, and he's using Tyrannosaurus Rex's um, feeble mind against him. And he stands, he's like taunting him, "Come on, come and get me!" Tyrannosaurus Rex runs at him. Nightman jumps out of the way just in time. Tyrannosaurus Rex hits a steel girder and brings down the entire building on him and he's won he's won he's the one left standing and he's made it through the night he's stopped them all and now it's just left for the authorities to clean up russell peters isn't too happy he yells nightman you battle destroyed my building and nightman thinks wow dad might be impressed i took care of things didn't i this is problematic, a, a little problematic, but, uh, you know, if ever it came out that he was Nightman, uh, it, the case could be made that he did this deliberately. But anyway, uh, we end the issue with him on his radio again. He's moved his antenna uh, to a new location, so the FCC can't find him. He's just going to stay on until uh, until they 
do find his transmitting location. And he gets on the radio. He's saying, this is Nightman. And he sends a message to J.D. Hunt. And it's kind of cute. He, this is the Nightman on the air from a new location tonight. Had a little run-in with five ultras earlier. TNT of Strangers fame. They did about as well against me as as them. The funny thing about it, uh, the funny thing about life is it goes on. You can be down one night and right back up the next. I'm living proof. But whoever sent TNT on their hunt must be very down tonight. Maybe he'll be up tomorrow, but not at my expense. Good night, all, and pleasant dreams. And we see J.D. Hunt and his son, and J.D. Hunt takes his stereo, pulls it up, throws it, dashes it against the floor. So overall, it's a pretty good issue. I mean, this is a good Nightman story. This is uh, uh, The unfortunate thing is I never felt like he was going to lose. Like when I'm watching Spider-Man against the, Sin- uh, the Sinister Six, I think Spider-Man has the, uh, the – he could lose. He could lose. But with this story, you realize the TNTNT is, is outclassed just because he is determined and he's plucky. You know, he's he's going to use whatever is at hand. He's using freeform improv in the dark, and they don't stand a chance against him. And I, I never really get the impression that he's going to lose. But I like the determination. I like the grim grit that he brings to his story here as he, he's just, I'm going to fight until I win. And if I don't win, then it's it's proof that I shouldn't be in this game. And uh, and then he is the last one standing, and he he's won, you know. And you, I feel a sense of triumph in the character, but I never felt a sense of tension in in the the story as far as will could he lose? I almost think it would have been nice for him to lose, but then again, it's also nice for him to have a triumph after he's gone through you know the whole situation with Rhiannon and, and, and the whole situation with the the waitress. And so this is, and I, I go back and forth as far as, you know, could this have been better if it had been, you know, where he did face defeat and, and lose. And ultimately, I think it's good to have this success. And it's it's good to see him. I mean, he holds his own against a team that almost took down the Strangers, a team of seven people. So when they were fighting the Strangers, they were outclassed by two. Now, there were other, there were other factors involved. Um but anyway, as far as this issue goes, I enjoyed it uh, when I first read it. I remember enjoying it when I first read it, and I enjoy it now reading it again and just revisiting this story and revisiting um, you know, this, this chapter in the, the Nightman saga. But this is not the only appearance of the Nightman from this month. In March 1994, you also had the, an issue of Firearm, issue number Seven and in issue number seven of Firearm, uh, Firearm has to go and to Seattle. On his trip up to Seattle, he has to drive through San Francisco, and so there are two panels there of him in San Francisco. And here, here's how it reads: It says, uh, "That was when, looking for sounds on the car radio, I heard the strangest thing: the Nightman, his radio show, interesting voice." interesting musical tastes stories i've heard about him are interesting too some say he's an ultra others say he's just a a wacko with insomnia whatever he's my farewell from frisco a part of the city i'll i'll take away with me (laughs) so there you know 
I wish that there could have been a little bit more of coordination here and maybe actually have the transmission from Nightman number six uh, be the transmission that Firearm was listening to and, and have that be that same night. But it wasn't. In fact, there is no dialogue from Nightman. It's just the mention, and it shows Firearm um, driving at night. He, he's illuminated by the glow of his dashboard, and he's looking at the where the radio dials would be. Um, so he's he's just driving, you know. It's it's nothing. It's not that big of a deal, but it is again kind of spotlighting this shared universe. And so you have Nightman fighting characters that first appeared in a Stranger's issue, and then you have Firearm in another uh, series, just driving through San Francisco and and listening to Nightman's radio program on his pirate radio station. It's kind of cool, and this is you know definitely the uh, the, the primary benefit of having a shared universe is that you're able to flesh it out uh, and take what exists from what other writers are creating and, and use that. And so with uh, with Firearm, it's <clears throat> James Robinson who's, who's doing that. And again, he here's a, a nice opportunity for them just to work together and for him to say, okay, if I'm going to have my guy drive from Los Angeles up to Seattle, he's going to have to drive through San Francisco. Who's in San Francisco? The Nightman. And Nightman has the right. It just makes sense. It's just kind of a cool little, uh, little Easter egg, a little bonus that you, that you get if you're reading all or some of the titles. And so the other thing, like I said, was with Nightman and issue number three of the strangers where the TNT and T team first appeared. I had that because it was, you know, tied into the Nightman, and so it was one of those things where I wouldn't have had that issue, and I I don't know if I would have bought it or not. I don't know if the completionist in me would have made me go out and buy it just because it was mentioned um, as background for those characters in one of those uh, captioned footnotes that you get. Uh, because when I was the completionist then was just Nightman, Nightman only. Now, I would have, and this is, again, the completionist in me, I would have gone out and bought this firearm comic if I had known back then that he mentions Nightman and was listening to Nightman on the radio. I admit it. I have a problem. I have a problem. But, uh, you know, I love comic books. I've always loved comic books. And, and with Nightman, it was that first time that I was able to get in on the ground floor. All the other comic books that I had were things that, you know, they were in issue 300, they were in issue 500, they were in issue, you know, 29 or whatever. I never could get in on the ground floor with a brand new character. With everything else, it was okay because I was getting characters that I knew. You know, I was buying a Batman comic or I was getting an Avengers comic. I knew the characters or I was getting a Spider-Man comic. These were characters that I knew and loved from TV and from my action figures and, and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, and from even, you know, things as simple as like a, a Hostess Twinkie ad. But there weren't any Hostess Twinkie ads with the Nightman. The action figures came later. And, you know, there weren't any cartoons or anything like that. These were brand new characters. I do sometimes wish, though, that maybe there had been, you know some sort of hostess Twinkie ad with a nightman. Um, I've shared these fantasies with you, and I think it's time now to 
to share another. The Nightman in. Don't think about it too hard. Just don't think about it. Oh man, grenade! It's just you and me left. All the strangers have fallen, and we've taken down all of TNTNT except Tyrannosaurus Rex. I have no energy, Nightman. I think this is the end. We've lost. He's too powerful. Huh? Where are you two? I pounded you into hamburger, and now it's time to pound the rest of you into pudding. Hmm. Pudding. That gives me an idea. What? Food. Isn't that how you energize yourself for your blasts? Yeah, sort of. I, I mean, if I'm going to expel stuff from my body, I need to put stuff into my body. Well, how about this? A Hostess chocolate-flavored pudding pie? Where'd that come from? I've learned as I've adapted myself to fight crime in the best possible way to always keep one handy. It's like free-form improv in the dark. You can use it to stop him. A hostess pudding pie? Stop me? Never. Hmm. I guess we'll find out. Owie! Hey, wait a minute. If you eat that first to power up your grenade power... Tyrannosaurus Rex, don't think about it. Just don't think about uh, it. Then that means when you expel it from your body, it's really like you're oh, shooting. Seriously, seriously, do not think about it. Ew, aw, man, no. that's disgusting. Oh, no, come on, big boy. It's time to take you to prison with the rest of your team. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Chocolate Pudding Pie. I got some in my mouth. All right, so there's not much more to do uh, for this episode other than to open the mailbag. And once again, as I open the mailbag and take a peek in, there's something in there. <laughs> I'm once again surprised by people liking this stuff. Uh, and this doesn't surprise me, actually. When I read this email... It reflects a lot of things that I've been saying. So this is from Gabriel, and he writes in to say, Love the podcast. It's great to hear other people talking about these characters that I thought no one remembered but me. Within the past five years, I've collected almost the entire Ultraverse series of comics, Nightman being my favorite, of course. Now, between the Ultraverse Network, your podcast, and the small appearance of the Ultraverse in comics, I no longer feel alone and can't help but think, what a great time to be a fan. I look forward to the rest of your podcast on the Nightman, and while it's a ways off, was wondering if you have any plans for your podcast beyond Nightman's final appearance in comics or other media. And one thing I have thought about is what am I going to do uh, beyond the series itself? And there's there's still, yeah, it is a, a while away. We're, we're talking about a couple years here of, of working on this podcast if I do keep up this, this monthly uh, pace. But uh, first of all, the interesting thing that goes along with the other media is that that really happens after Nightman closes down as a comic book. If I have my timeline correct, I believe Nightman as a TV series didn't happen until after the comic books had stopped being published. 
I don't know what I plan to do after the Nightman comics are done. I don't plan to do an episode-by-episode synopsis of the TV show or uh, to do, you know, even like the, the Ultra Force cartoon show that there was. Uh, there was one episode about the Nightman. I could see myself doing something about that. I could see myself doing maybe an episode about the TV show. Um, the episode-by-episode episode synopsis thing, I already do that in a podcast and I had honestly considered, you know, doing a 21 years ago on TV or, or whatever uh, to go along with, you know, whenever the Nightman episodes originally aired. But that's that's really a, a pretty big task. And I do for Welcome to Level 7, the podcast about uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I do every week uh, an episode with my, my co-host Daniel uh about that show and that's why this is about the right pace for me this nightman podcast here i can commit to that once a month kind of thing and i also like the idea and you know for for better or for worse i like the idea that this is limited uh this will finish this will be done when the nightman is done and that actually kind of appeals to me i i like that idea my other podcasts that i work on they're open ended they're just going to keep on going until we decide to stop but with this i kind of have an arbitrary stopping point set for myself and that's when the final nightman story appeared in which is his appearance in future shock and i'm excited about these future stories that that feature nightman uh i'm excited i love this series I don't love where it ends in the series proper, but I do like some of the things that happen in like the the Phoenix Resurrection story that they did and the uh just the that appearance that he has in Future Shock. And so as far as Nightman is concerned, I'm not left wanting too much. I actually like where they ended things. And I think that I'll probably stop when I get there. Between now and then, I do hope that there is opportunity to talk about other Ultraverse comics. I will be covering Sludge on Comic Book Time Machine. In fact, uh, if I'm going to keep on track with the Nightman or, or close to it, uh, I did that first Sludge episode when I had uh, with issue three, and I, I covered Sludge issues one through three. Next set will be issues four through six, and Sludge is on track with the Nightman as far as how it was being published. So it's it's I'm I'm due for another sludge episode of Comic Book Time Machine. But for now, I want to thank everyone for listening, and I also want to thank you for that the feedback that you sent in, Gabriel. I really really appreciate it, and it's nice to know that other people are listening. It's nice to know that there's other fans out there. Like you said, you're not alone. It's a good time to be a fan. I also just want to throw out a, a thank you to the people who have left reviews on iTunes. Really appreciate that, and. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for clicking on the stars. Thank you for leaving your um, your feedback about the the show. And I I it's really appreciated. And it's good, like I said, and, and like Gabriel said, it's good to know we're not alone. So until next time, I I just want to say uh, thanks for listening. And you know what? Keep listening because listening to podcasts. Like, taking your team and splitting them up and attacking a superhero one by one is all just freeform improv in the dark.
Next issue, Cry Wolf. Nightman fights a purple werewolf. It's actually a lot better than it sounds when I say it like that. And it's Kyle Hotz drawing the purple werewolf. It's pretty awesome. 